It's August 9th, 2018 on Leonard Street in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. This is Acacia Thompson for the Greenpoint Oral History Project for Brooklyn Public Library, Our Streets, Our Stories. I'm here with Katie Napotarski. Hi, Katie. Hey, hi. <laughs> hi. So I wanted to ask you, how long have you been in Greenpoint, and how is it you became involved as being an environmental and open space advocate? Uh, I've been in Greenpoint since 1983. Uh, my daughter was born in 1995. Uh, the Asian longhorn beetle was discovered in Greenpoint in 96, 97. Um, myself and other park parents uh, <clears throat> uh, and others besides parents uh, got together during that time. Um, to address the problem of the Asian longhorn beetle and the state and city and its response to it. Um, we, are, we were a group of parents uh, who uh, all hung out in the playground together. Uh, we got to know each other that way. Um, there were quite a few of us, uh, you know, um, I don't know, the mailing list, which is literally a mailing list maybe 25 or 30 I'm not really sure um, there was a core group originally um, and I'll say those names and the group was active uh, at least 10 years um, uh, absolutely active following that um, we were active uh, now and then especially for um, advocacy um, uh, but the and the core for those 10 years, 10 or 12 years, remained as a core of, of uh, became a core of five people. Each person, each one of those five people, um, uh, took on different um, uh, projects of their own choice uh, with everyone's uh, consensus and um, input and involvement as needed. It was, there was no hierarchy in Park Moms, there was nobody uh, no elected person, uh, everybody was on equal footing. Um, and uh, really the founder of Park Moms is Susie Monaghan, who about 15 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, moved out of New York City uh, with her two sons. Um, so she was probably the main uh person. Um, then there was Sarah Porter, uh, who is still in the neighborhood. Um, <clears throat> myself. Um, and then they, there were other names, but they've since moved, so I'd have to look back to remember the names. Oh, Susan Albrecht, uh, definitely uh, one of the original people. Um, and right now, I'll get you the names later. Um, I can remember their kids' names. Mm -hmm. um, but they moved out of the neighborhood, um, especially because of the housing issues. Um, so there was a really good core group. Um, and then the five who were working um, the later years were myself, um, Susie Monaghan, until she moved. Um, Susan Albrecht, who's still in the neighborhood, Nancy Karen, who's in the neighborhood, um, Robin uh, 
I gotta get her last name. Um, Haggard, Robin Haggard, um, and Jesse. Um, I can't remember her last name right now. Um, but e each of those people took on a different role, um, <clears throat> self-initiated role that they carried out on over the years. And um, uh, so the beginning of Park Moms was the Asian Longhorn Beetle and <clears throat> Susie Monaghan and others did a lot of advocacy uh, to ensure that we got the proper uh, trees um, the tree for tree, um, the wood for wood um, from the state. And there's a lot of documentation about that. Um, uh, other people had incredible, like Marcy Boyle, who we, you met mm -hmm. at the, um, okay. So um, we did a number, we did a lot of things um, for advocacy for that. I don't know if you want me to go into specifically into that. We marked all the trees with a, a black cross on a piece of paper, uh, black X, um, all the trees that would be coming down in McCarran Park. Um, and then also, um, especially Susie Monaghan was in touch with um, the state and um, the community board task force. Um, we also had a vigil um, to uh, show, show what was happening, what was coming down, and also to protest um, what seemed like the lack of uh, remediation for the trees coming down. Um, and then from having gotten together because of that, then um, we started working on other uh, things and it was concentrated around America, uh, McCarran Park because that's where we hung out um, and uh, I think the first thing was the waiting pool so we had a postcard campaign to Councilman Fisher um, to get funding and we got the funding $500,000 uh, for the sprinkler park, the waiting pool, which is in the back of the playground. <clears throat> and then <coughs> Susie Monaghan and I uh, decided to reach out to Parks Design and see if we could make suggestions about the design of the sprinkler park because they had recently redone American Playground on Franklin Avenue, Franklin Street, um, which is just poles with some ducks on top. Um, so we got in touch with him, met him at the Sprinkler Park, um, uh, which had been out of commission and overgrown like, for probably 20 years, maybe 15, 20, um, and gave him suggestions, wrote up the suggestions, um, um, our idea was to have a more naturalistic um, uh, elements uh, and that there would be some kind of water play that mimics somehow uh, 
the natural environment. <clears throat> and uh, we followed up in writing also. And um, he, the designer parks did incorporate uh, a lot of our recommendations. Um, it's not what we would like entirely, but it, it was really good that a lot of what we envisioned was put there. Mm -hmm. um, and then there were other things which Park Moms did within the playground, improvements within the playground. Um, got two, two uh, it was two different times, got um, some of the elements in the playground needed um, improvement. Um, for example, there originally in that playground there was no uh, fence around the basketball courts, so we got fence around the basketball courts. We got gates on the um, the swing area um, and some other things. Um, and then Susie Monaghan, uh, she uh, started the concert series, um, and we all helped with the concert series. So springing out of the environmental activism, we were a group that was about environmental uh, uh, concerns, uh, but also social concerns and cultural concerns. Um, so uh, we, we, our mission really was to enrich um, uh, for the children their experience uh, within their community. Um, so that had to do with the Sprinkler Park, the concert series, and then also with the trees. Um, we also did sp spring and fall community plantings along with the Partnership for Parks. Nancy Kieran was in charge of that every summer. Um, Susie Monaghan was in charge of the concerts first, and then Jesse um, took that role on, and then Nancy took that role on. Um, um, In terms of the trees, um, I worked with um, myself actually and um, Kristen Belouch, Kirsten Belouch, Kristen Belouch, yeah. Um, we, um, it, that used to be, there were only two trees on that area of grass where the barbecue um, things are now. There were two trees. There was the hawthorn that has the needle sticking out and then there was the beech which is uh, near to the entrance which is a, like it looks like kind of an umbrella. Those were the only two trees in that entire area. Mm -hmm. um, so in the summer it was extremely hot um, and so uh, working along with the councilman at the time who was Yasky, uh, we contacted forestry. Forestry met us in the park and there were a series of three different plantings you know, at different seasons. Um, there was a first stage and then we got back in touch with them and there was another stage and then there was another stage of plantings. So all of the trees, which virtually all of the trees, except for maybe the, like the crab apple ones, that are around the perimeter of the playground, but not on Lorimer. Although there's some on Lorimer too, that are by the benches, um, were from 
that uh, work. Um, and then uh, also the, w during one of the spring, it's my park day plantings, someone from parks was there. I don't remember his name. Uh, he worked with forest forestry and I mentioned that McCarran Park uh, still hadn't gotten enough trees and he facilitated it so that we had a walkthrough with him and with Tom Stavka, who's since passed away, and we walked the whole of McCarran Park. And so any trees that you see in McCarran Park, and, and bushes actually too, which are like 15 years old, so not the huge ones, but the, okay, and, and around the soccer field too, mm -hmm. those were all put in at that time which is, it was great that Parks responded to that. And um, um, and it's, it's beautiful seeing those trees. Um, and then the other thing in terms of trees was that these streets here, except for here on Lorimer, had virtually no trees. I mean, all of Norman, Norman here had no trees. It had no trees down here. Some of them were taken out with the longhorn beetle. I'm not sure if here there were any to begin with. But then none were replanted or planted, period. I'm not sure if they took any out. But there were no trees. You know, there were no trees between here and, and the police precinct. So um, with Park Moms, we, um, Kristen Belushi and I worked on this. Um, we, uh, made a letter we put it in all the doors we told them how to go about ordering a tree told them to tell uh, community board one that this was going through we coordinated with Yaski. they wrote a letter for us in support of it that we put in there i think lentil too in the letter and um we com coordinated with commu the community board one office so that when they sent in their request to community board one it was on a form we had made that said park moms so that it wouldn't just get lost in the sauce. So most of these trees that you see along here are from that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was it was good because you know there was the ability to work with the council member um, and with um, parks um, to. Uh, had these changes come about, you know, you got substantial thing. Um, we got the trees, you know, um, we got the sprinkler park, you know, and other things. So there was that ability to get things done. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was really often through phone calls, um, having the support of the elected officials. Um, um, gaining a reputation um, and through kind of that that direct contact uh, with those officials and direct requests um, we were able to um, you know, make changes and have things done I guess um, yeah is there anything in particular? Yeah. Well, no, I just, um, maybe we could talk a little bit about what you did with Guap as well. Okay. 
Um, so, um, I became a Guap board member in 19, sorry, in 2005, maybe, 2006. At this point, was it, yeah. was it, was it against the power plant or was it no, waterfront? Parks, parks and planning. planning. Yeah. Parks and planning. So, um, when I became, I was a Guap board member, I think in 2006 probably, um, and I was voted onto the board by the member organizations. Um, and soon after that, there was a presentation uh, about, by um, Parks and by the landscape architect, Donna Walkovich, um, for transmitter for um, Bushwick Inlet Park. It was in the Greenpoint Savings Bank. Um, and the design um, uh, I felt was lacking. Um, what was and, we have a whole list of things, by the way, but there were a lot of straight edges. One thing in particular was that the, that I recall very much was that the walkway, which is through the wetlands on the very edge, um, it's a single path walkway, um, long, almost the, almost the whole length. Um, south of the inlet itself was straight and so this is one thing um which we recommended was that it not be straight so if you see different plans you can tell which is the new and which is which is the former the old mm -hmm. because they did curve that park that walkway some of the things online <clears throat> are still the old plan because they still have that visual. You can still bring that image up. So Laura Hoffman and I, um, there were other things besides that. It had to do with the placement of different uh, things about um, where social uh, gathering spots would be. Um, also uh, naturalistic, more naturalistic elements. Um, Also, about the Monitor Museum, uh, although that was uh, that that that's a little more complicated. But um, so uh, we canvassed through email um, as many people as we could in order to get input about how the plan should be different. And then we compiled um, all of those. Then we comp compiled all those recommendations. So I have that list of recommendations and um, we compiled all those recommendations. Um, we then, so after that meeting in the bank, I said, can we have another meeting to revisit this? Okay, Stephanie Thayer, who was then the OSA chair, 
facilitated getting the meeting, and also Kimberly Miller, who was with the Municipal Arts Society. So Josh Laird was the person, the point person for parks at that time. I don't think he's there anymore. Nick Molinari also was involved with this. He's still around, um, um, and he remembers this too. Because mm -hmm. um, we speak about it now sometimes. Um, so um, they assist in getting this meeting, um, and we wrote up what our concerns were. We submitted those or recommendations. We submitted them to uh, Donna Lokovich um, and to Parks. They redrew the park, redesigned it, and came back and presented the redesign. And that's what was voted on in, on the community board. Was oh. the second would have been the second uh, version. Oh, what year was this? Two thousand and seven, and it was actually before. 2007, I think 2008 is when they came back with the redesign. Um, and it was actually before the text amendment. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It was before the text amendment, and it's interesting to see uh, the text amendment guidelines, um, which, were, which came out in 2009. They were approved in 2009. They came out in 2008. They were approved in 2009. And those text amendment guidelines which have to do with waterfront edge, uh, pathway treatment, um, uh, naturalistic elements, um, etc. To see the parallel between our recommendations and that, those text amendment guidelines is really interesting. Um, so, um, that was Uh, that's a story about how the community was able to to make a change uh, with parks facilitated by others to that park design um, uh, and now many years later it's it's been uh, redone again um, yeah. can you talk a little bit about that about what you're dealing with with the text amendment Currently, with the waterfront. Oh, okay. Um, if you feel like it, just as sort of a current with what we're dealing right. with in 2018. Okay, so um, in 2005 to 2007, during those years, um, major things happened. Uh, the rezoning of the waterfront happened and along with that was very um, comprehensive community input meetings um, with city planning and the parks department in order for the community to select uh, elements um, that would be uh, used on the waterfront esplanade and um, uh, visioning workshops about what the waterfront would be. Um, the, from there um, came the waterfront, Greenpoint Williamsburg Waterfront Master Plan, um, which one can still find online. 
Um, that is a blueprint for what the waterfront should be. Um, there are things which are categories of things which are required and there are categories of things which are guidelines. Um, the, and then after that, uh, city planning made and full council voted on something called the Waterfront Guidelines uh, Text Amendment for private spaces, because these are private public spaces, a lot of them um, along the waterfront. Um, and that was a very, is a very comprehensive uh, document which uh, shows in text and in uh, pictures of what are the recommendations uh, for quality um, design on the waterfront. Um, and um, many of the things in the master plan and the text amendment, mostly the master plan, are in the zoning regulations, which are the steadfast zoning regulations. Um, uh, currently, uh, some of those requirements um, uh, have not been adhered to. Um, and then most of the guidelines have not been, have been ignored entirely. Um, so that's what we're uh, advocating about now. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about your work with Transmitter Park and Friends of Transmitter Park? Um, yeah. Um, so Transmitter Park um, started 2007. I'm not sure exactly. Um, myself and many people went to the original uh, scoping meetings for that park. Uh, I've got a long list of what came out of those scoping meetings, by the way. Um, I just found it this morning. Um, the original scoping meetings. And then um, they, Donna Walkovich uh, brought the plans back to the community. Again, the basement of Greenpoint. Bang, she went back, she revised those plans, came back and showed them to us. Um, a group, uh, myself and another group of people, we wanted to actually have some other, some things revised on that. Um, one thing I remember in particular was having permeable pavement um, in some places were allowed, like through the wildflower garden, for example, and a few other things, uh, more trees down by the shoreline, um, at least to the right, where it doesn't interfere with the DP line. Um, uh, so um, we wanted to save the fig tree. Um, we were just a little anecdote that um, we were told again and again that the fig tree couldn't be saved. Um, and at the groundbreaking for construction, Adrian Benepe was there and myself and a few others talked to him. And he said, hey, Joe, whatever the guy's name was, make sure that fig tree stays. And so <clears throat> um, the fig tree stayed. They, he had it moved, they had it moved, they moved, and it was there for a long time until, I think until Hurricane Sandy, then it 
<clears throat> so it's not there anymore. Um, so, um, and then, so Transmitter Park has been, a, you know, is kind of a slice of advocacy. You know, if you look at it over the years, um, uh, there are many other people who've been involved with Transmitter Park. Barbara Fidel was the um, Friends of um, leader of that for a long time. Um, the nearest story in that park is um, most recent is about the building, which will be built um, right at the um, eastern end, and um, we've coalesced as a friends of group. Um, Steve Chesler is the chair, um, and we were able to um, request and get uh, a 10-foot wall um, between the building lobby and the park, um, which was quite a feat, actually. Um, and hopefully in that wall will be a beautiful uh, long section of bluestone with other colors in it, not just blue, from upstate New York, from a family-owned quarry in upstate New York. Um, that's what we're working on now. Sante Michelli is the in the forefront of that. Um, is the developer paying for the wall? The developer is paying for the wall, so um, in order for them to get their variance that they requested, which means facing the park, um, their building to face the park. Um, we asked for givebacks. Um, we had a lot of support within the community, which was really important. And from the community board, it was also very, really helpful. Um, um, and we got $500,000 give back. And the wall, um, the construction of the wall will come out of that. Um, there will be um, money left over <clears throat> for other use within the park, you know, to be determined. Um, yeah. What do you hope to be in the old transmitter building? Um, it would be really, I think it would be good if they really looked into having a compost toilet there. Um, I would hope that parks had the, you know, ability, both the bandwidth and the inclination to really pursue that. Um, and some, some sort of environmental and history center um, and planting center. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. And what about some of the programming that you We've been trying to do things which are um, have to do with the natural aspect of the park um, rather than recreation or event programming. Um, so um, there have been um, plantings and weeding um, times and garbage pickup 
and um, bird um, uh, seminars and bugs and wildflowers. Um, uh, and there was stargazing. Steve Chesler um, put together a lot of these things. Stargazing was amazing. And the plan of gazing. Um, and um, now we're looking to have a symposium um, with American Indian Community House in October, um, but working with all the other community groups too. Um, and then there are other things down the line too, um, but a lot of the energy is going into the wall to um, uh, try to get that implemented, mm -hmm. that design implemented, yeah. Well, sir, are there any other initiatives that we haven't talked about that, that you worked on that you'd like to talk about a little bit? Um, The ice skating rink, um, that was a big initiative. Um, myself and Catherine Thompson, uh, Barge Park, um, looking to see that Barge Park was actually a community input meeting. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, it seems like it's become more difficult in the past few years to uh, really have community input, uh, meaningful community input uh, that has results. Um, and Barge Park is one case in point. Um, we. The, the process has not worked as it should. The scoping meeting, the original scoping meeting, I didn't know about it, actually. Um, it was not widely uh, advertised. Uh, it was down Bushwick Inlet Park uh, building rather than in Greenpoint closer. Uh, there were maybe 30 people there and most of those people, as I understand, were there because Darren uh, Lipman went around trying to get people to go. Um, he's been an amazing um, person looking to have barge and box be passive. Um, and then once that happened, we had it on our radar that we would know when the community input with air quotes um, uh, meeting would be. Uh, where they would show the design. We learned when it would be. The location was, again, Bushwick and Lit Park. It was also during a night, which was a community board meeting, I think, something which was just um, not, uh, or was the GSEF vote. It was something that just didn't make sense, and it was very short notice also. And Trina, who's been on the Parks and Waterfront Committee, uh, CB1, um, is, has been a great force in being able to uh, engage with 
uh, elected officials, and Lisa Bloodgood helped to, who was the community liaison for Levin at that time. She was terrific. Um, she made sure that that meeting was not going to happen that night, and it didn't. So they rescheduled the meeting, but they rescheduled it again for Bushwick Inlet Park. And she was instrumental in, in getting that um, to be relocated to the senior housing on Eagle Street. So that's where the meeting was. Um, there were a lot of people there. Um, the plan um, was really problematic, and that's pretty much the plan that's going in. Um, the, if you look at the master plan, the design which is in the master plan now, which, you know, those are preliminary designs, it's the same person who designed it. But something happened in between where they said that's too uh, ambitious. I'm not sure what. They redesigned it. Um, and the redesign is really a cut down design. Um, we saw many problems with the design. We came back asking for recommendations. It was, and that meeting for Barge Park was three days community input meeting was three days before it was to go to the community board for a vote and so fortunately Phil Caponegro said this isn't enough time for us to have input so this can't come to the next community board meeting for a vote it's got to go we need to have some meeting in between so we had there were parks and waterfront meetings in between I think there were two more and it was very difficult um, very things which are in the text amendment and the master plan in terms of elements, um, the aesthetics of what a park could be, uh, were shortchanged within Barge Park. And, um, but, you know, then there's an artificial turf field, which is a Little League field, and Mike Hoffman was asking again and again, why is it Little League? Why is it Little League? You know, it didn't take much to make that bigger. We never got an answer about that. Just a lot of things. Um, it just felt like it was being pushed through just as fast as it could be. Um, you know, I asked Marty Marr, why is there a railing? There's not a railing at other parks. And, um, Grand Ferry or transmitter, and I said the sloping is about the same. I went and I looked, and he turned to Ajana of the, um, who was also director then, and he said, "Tomorrow go see and put it about a railing up at transmitter at Grand Ferry Park." This is this is what we've been dealing with. We said, "Put some curved paths in there. Why does everything have to be so straight edged?" Um, and so. You know that's Barge Park, and that's what we're dealing with now. It's hopefully Box Street. You know, you know about Box Street, but hopefully Box Street. That that it's a good thing. Um, I think we did a good job on the Box Street of being preemptive about that. And thank you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not for your tutelage. <laughs> oh well. Oh no, you yeah, you had a handle on that. It's great. Um, Why don't you mention the ice rink for a second? 
um, so um, the pool was empty. I think this was before the pool was redone. Yeah, before they decided to redo the pool. And Catherine Thompson and I thought, you know, why not make an ice skating rink in there? Um, you know, really with the feeling that kids needed something to do. Um, and so we were really worked really, really hard um, uh, with the council and others um, to get the funding for that. It came down to the last minute. Um, and uh, um, we almost didn't get the funding. It was like late at night. I think Rich Mazur mentioned to me that it wasn't going to come through. I don't, somehow he knew. And then we actually like emailed Julius Spiegel or something that night. Like we heard this isn't coming through. And like this is during budgeting time for the council. And then we were told that we got the money. It was $250,000. Um, but then subsequent to that, the pool um, was announced that the pool is going to be rebuilt. So uh, uh, they did have an ice skating rink later within the pool bed um, for one year, I guess. I was to put one in, but it just didn't work out so well. But um, yeah, that was another initiative. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I've, yeah. I think that's about it in terms of projects. Well, yeah. how do you feel about um, you know the waterfront, like in the waterfront, fifteen years from now? What do you think? What what do you hope for it? For the design and for for what it'll be like for the community. When I first came here, you could barely get to the waterfront. Um, seriously. Um, there was one pier at India Street, or two piers, that were old wooden piers, actually, um, long. Um, so that was one spot to go. But otherwise, there was virtually no way to get to the waterfront. Um, so it's amazing that there is that opportunity now to get to the waterfront. Um, I think it's an amazingly missed opportunity. Um, the visionaries that we've had in this country and in this city uh, over the last century, um, there have been visionaries that understood the place that good park design can have in people's lives and improving the quality of people's lives. And they did amazing uh, things uh, for park design that we still have presently today. Um, they had that vision, um, understanding that bringing the country into the city, bringing nature into the city as an opportunity for people to experience nature within the city and all those things that nature means and what it looks like, they did. And somehow that, that vision has been lost. It's just not there. It was there 10 years ago with the master plan and with the text amendment. That's why, to, to a great extent. But it's now 
it's that concept is not present in what is going in there now what is being designed now um, and in large part it's because city planning and the parks department are not pushing that vision it's not part of their vocabulary and how do you think so. we can change that that's hard to know because what you you really were uh, right now there might be there's still some parcels pending we might be able to have some effect on that there's something which is was just voted on by city planning um, the councilman has to sign off on it um, we um, I don't know how much effect we're going to be able to have because if you don't have if you don't have city council if you don't have the councilman really understanding um, how important this is and seeing it as a priority um, then you don't have much traction um, it's hard because some of these things are already they've already been rubber stamped by city planning city planning just has rubber stamped them um, and has literally said those are just guidelines the um, the vision all the visioning stuff was is just quote-unquote guidelines which Adrian Benepe wrote the cover letter for saying this is what should be here um, so I don't know if we're gonna be able to have an effect I hope we will um, but I'm not sure you know Um, I think it's a great thing to be, you know, to be an activist. I mean, there are things that one needs to do. You know, the first, probably the first thing that, I think the very first thing that I did ever was uh, American Playground when that was first built, um, the Sprinkler Park there. So this was, I'm pretty sure this was before Park Moms. And I was in American Playground. And they had just built that sprinkler park and it wasn't turned on. And I asked the man that um, worked in the building, I said, why isn't it on? And he said, oh, it's because of a certain part, piece is missing. And Parks is waiting for the contractor to get this piece. I think it was like an on-off switch or something. And I said, really, they're waiting for the contractor to get it? He said, yeah, because the contractor is responsible for it. It's just a little piece. And so I called up. The parks department the capital I don't remember who I called and I said this isn't on and he, she said yeah it's probably gonna take a few weeks and this was the heat of summer and I said well what is that piece and how much does that piece cost she said oh it's like a $50 piece but we're waiting and for them to put it in and I said listen I'll pay for the piece and she goes hey Peter the lady says she'll pay for the piece you know and meaning you know, not so much she was going to take me up on it, but like, um, you know, she was, she thought it was funny. Um, but 
then a few days later, they figured out how to put that piece in. And so I think it's important. I think advocacy is important because you get things like sprinkler parks turned on when you need them for your children. But I don't think that should be a necessary role. I think it's really a shame that people have to take that role on. That is not a role they should have to take on. The city should run better than this. They should be doing their jobs. It should not be my job to have to do this, and I'm really sorry that I have to do it. I seriously am. Activism and organizations like OSA, as far as I'm concerned, in terms of the role that they should play or the role that parks groups should play is about enrichment. And putting you know, the top layer on the cake rather than building the cake itself. And I think it's really, I think it's a shame, really a shame that our city does not have this as a priority. Um, that it's not as a priority somehow within the ethos that um, parks should be funded more, there should be more park funding, and that these things should be absolute priority because it's, because of it, especially as it affects on children.